Hello and welcome to a Waypoint Church podcast. We hope you enjoy listening to it. We're going to carry on our worship with a reading of scripture, which Emily is going to do right now. This morning's reading is taken from Nehemiah 4. Um, I'm sure you'll be as glad as I am that there's no many um, long Jewish names today. So it's Nehemiah 4. Sambalat was very angry when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage and mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends and the Sumerian army officers, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they are doing? Do they think they can build the wall in a single day by just offering a few sacrifices? Do they actually think they can make something of stones from the rubbish heap? And a charred one at that. Tobiah the Ammonite was standing beside him and remarked, that stone wall would collapse if even a fox walked along the top of it. Then I prayed, hear us, O God, for we are being mocked. May their scoffing fall back on their own heads, and may they themselves become captives in a foreign land. Do not ignore their guilt. Do not blot out their sins, for they have provoked you to anger here in front of the builders. At last a wall was completed to half its height and around the entire city, for the people had worked with enthusiasm. But then Sambalat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdites heard that the work was going to go ahead and that the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired. They were furious. They, made, they all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. But we prayed to our God and guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. Then the people of Judah began to complain. The workers are getting tired and there's so much rubble to be moved. We will never be able to build the wood by ourselves. Meanwhile, our enemies were saying, before they know what's happening, we will swoop down on them and kill them and end their work. The Jews who live near the enemy came and told us again and again, they will come from all directions and attack us. So I placed armed guards behind the lowest parts of the wall in the exposed areas. I stationed the people to stand guard by families armed with swords, spears and bows. Then as I looked over the situation I called together the nobles and the rest of the people and said to them do not be afraid of the enemy remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers your sons your daughters and your wives and your homes. When our enemies heard that we knew of their plans and that God had frustrated them we all returned to our work on the wall. But from then on only half my men worked while the other half stood guard with spears, shields, bows and coats of mail. The leaders stationed themselves along the people, behind the people of Judah who were building the wall. The labourers carried on their work, on the one hand supporting their load and in one hand holding a weapon. All the builders had a sword belted to their side. The trumpeter stayed with me to sound the alarm. Then I explained to the nobles and officials and then all the people, the work is very spread out and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. When you hear the blast of the trumpet, rush to wherever it is sounding, then our God will fight for us. We worked early and late, from sunrise to sunset, and half the men were always on guard. I told everyone living outside the walls to stay in Jerusalem. That way they, could, they and their servants could help with the guard duty at night and work during the day. During this time, none of us, not I, not my relatives, not my servants, not the guards who were with me, ever took off our clothes. We, were, we carried our weapons with us at all times, even when we went for water. 
Okay, this, before Keith comes up, let's quickly pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you um, for this opportunity today to meet and worship. Lord, we don't take it lightly anymore. We just thank you, Lord, that we can meet as your people and we can um, sing praises to you and learn about you. I just pray now for Keith as he comes up and brings the word this morning. Lord, may you use this ancient passage, Lord, to speak in a fresh and new way in our lives because we just thank you, God, that you can do that. We thank you that you can bring um, an individual word to each and every one of us. And I just praise your name today. Amen. Thank you. Appreciate that. So it's good to pray, isn't it? Hi, my name is Keith. Um, you saw me last week, maybe. Um, if this is the first time you've seen me, I hope it's not too traumatic for you. Don't worry. Um, don't adjust your view. I really am this height. That's fine. I think they can see me on the uh, TV. Okay, that's fine. Welcome as well if you're at home. It's really good to see you. And the word of the Lord is just alive and active. It's really interesting. Both weeks I've, I've spoken People usually ask me, do you ever get nervous because you've, you've spoken a lot in the past and things like that. Completely. And you know, I always want to be vulnerable. We need to remember these are the things of heaven, aren't they? These are the things of God. This isn't a performance or a show. This is actually, we need the Spirit of God to show up in, in my heart and in your heart because we need to be uh, those who proclaim the word of the Lord, but also those who are hearers and doers also. So I always want to stay vulnerable. Just like Samson, remember, towards the end of his life, he says, Lord, would you use me just one more time? That's a beautiful prayer. If you find yourself a lot on a platform or speaking or doing anything, Lord, would you use me just one more time? Don't leave that place ever. It's a beautiful place. Okay, so uh, thanks for praying already. Emily, that's really good. That set me up fine. Um, I think I saw a post. It might have been Linda, I'm not sure, uh, on social media about the Queen Elizabeth. HMS Queen Elizabeth left the harbour yesterday for six months. Uh, a six-month deployment. I've been on one. Uh, we didn't actually visit 40 countries. We visited zero uh, because it was in a, a more of a combat situation. So we spent six months completely at sea, which wasn't the funniest thing. So I do have a little bit of insight into that. I remember... When I first came to be interviewed for the role I do, and effectively people were asking various questions. And I remember telling this story because um, about two years ago, probably now, time flies, I saw a documentary on HMS Queen Elizabeth. And it was a great documentary. I love those sort of documentaries. And um, she was doing trials, and it was kind of uh, about six or seven week series. And... Um, what happened, it, wasn't, it was more by accident than design. I told this story then. She, she bumped into her up in Scotland in trials. She bumped into her namesake, but the cruise ship, the cruise ship Queen, uh, Queen Elizabeth. And the captain of HMS Queen Elizabeth, the Royal Navy's latest carrier, was asked, which one would you rather be on? And uh, I remember him saying, well, if I wanted a, a gin and tonic, I wanted people to pamper me and look after me, probably that one, but I love to be on this one because everyone knows our role, we know our purpose, we know that we are in, in a battle and we're in this together. And it's interesting that on the cruise ship, probably 1% of the people do all of the work and the rest are the pampered tribe, if you want and I say that because really as God's people, we are more to be, and metaphors have a limit, I understand that, but we're more to be a warship than a cruise ship. 
We need to understand, we said last week, that we are in a kingdom battle. We need to understand as individual believers and as a church of God's people that we are in a battleground and not a playground. And I see people casually walking along and with a deja vu all of the time. And then we're surprised when discouragement comes and when we're down and we feel out because we went about it maybe, maybe with the wrong approach. Just that playground mentality. Or I've done this all before. Or or really, do you know in this country it's a bit sophisticated. Maybe we don't see a guy jump out of the, uh, the drains with horns and a long tail. And so we can't quite imagine what a spiritual battle uh, in, in, in our context looks like. In so many ways, I think the enemy uh, doesn't need to do that because lethargy is one of the greatest enemies of the Western church. And deja vu. But you see, we are more to be a warship where each one of us takes our place. We said last week, and please catch up online, in the kingdom battle. You see, the fact is, Paul says to the Ephesian church, who knew all about this in Ephesians 6.12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Did you know that? And so it's important for us as a local congregation of God's people, as we consider what it will look like over these coming weeks and months, what it will be like to be God's gathered people again, it's important that we know we are in a battleground. And to do that, what we're looking at is the Old Testament book of Nehemiah. Who loves the Old Testament? Isn't it amazing, the narrative of the Old Testament? Yeah, praise God. Old, don't let that word put you off. It's amazing. It really is. And so we're looking at Nehemiah. Now, I'm not going to go into the background today. We did a little bit of that last week. And Mark, the first week or two, did that. And so what we're doing, please look back at the videos. But we've moved, really, in this book of, of, of Nehemiah. They've got the green light to go back to Jerusalem. Remember, it took them 90 to 100 years overall. Once the Persians kicked the Babylonians out, basically the first lot went and built the temple. And there was kind of a mix of, of, of kind of who'd seen Jerusalem and some hadn't. And by the time 60 years Ezra goes back, pretty much they're culturally Babylonian, a mix of Persian kind of culture going on. And by the time Nehemiah, Nehemiah comes back in the book, he's never seen Jerusalem. You need to know that. He's never seen it, but God has put it on his heart. And a lot of the people who he brings back are culturally Babylonian, even though they, they've got a, they, they're Jewish, uh, they just love, they've, they've been engrossed in this culture. And so you'll probably, if you read the book of Nehemiah, you'll probably see things like intermarrying with different people groups and things. It's culture. Culture has this way of, of permeating the church. I'm glad it doesn't happen today, aren't you? Right. Silence says a lot. And so we've moved from chapter one, we're at chapter four today. Do follow it if you can. We've moved from crisis and without a crisis, we don't need a new vision because everything's fine and everything is not okay. And can I say it's okay to say it's not okay in your life and in my life and in the life of your church. It's great because crisis can create new vision, new urgency to be the people again. So we've moved from crisis, chapter one, renewed vision, chapter two, to last week, people actually starting to build chapter three. And so the thing is, 
Whenever we are busy, and the challenge last week was whether it's in the church program or outside of the church program, all of us are called to work for the kingdom of God following King Jesus. But the, pro- the problem with that is as soon as we get busy, as soon as we get dangerous for the king again, the enemy of souls is at work in your life and my life. It's so important for us to recognize that I've already bored all of the staff with my stories. You have to get to know what he is like, and that's what today is about. It's called dealing with discouragement, and I hope today we'll, we'll start to recognize where discouragement can come from, the diversity of discouragement, the kind of direction of discouragement, and I want to leave you with some antidotes for dealing with discouragement. Is that okay today? But I remember as we sailed to the Falklands in 1982, yep, I know I don't look it. Six weeks passage, we spent the whole six weeks watching video after video after video of what would happen, how many planes the enemy had, how many missiles, how far, how close they could get to us, all of that. We had to soak ourselves in the tactics and the potential of what the enemy looked like so we could respond and be prepared as a unit. We need to understand the tactics of the enemy of souls of the Church of Christ. And we see some classic ones, and that might appear in some very familiar kind of guises, and I don't want to demonize everything. You know, people might say, oh, the devil's having a go. I broke my nail this morning. I'm not talking that sort of thing. That might be really sad if you've got a night out. And so we want to have a balance. That's up to you and the Holy Spirit. But we need to really recognize what this looks like. So we really do see the diversity of discouragement. Did you notice how one verse... One verse, let me read it again in case you missed it. Thanks so much, Emily, for reading that. One verse can crush people. Do you know that? Have you ever been crushed by one verse? Have you? Verse two. And in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, we always like a crowd around us. He said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble, burned as they are? Let's exaggerate. One verse. Verse two. How the enemy uses this. You know, he can be personal. Feeble Jews. When the enemy comes and taunts you, he gets deep. It's personal. He'll crush our ambitions so often. Will they restore their walls? Mock our vision. Will they ever offer sacrifices again? Dent our enthusiasm. Will they finish in a day? That was never the plan. Chapter 6. 52 days. He tries to undermine our confidence This is the diversity of discouragement. Can they bring these stones back to life? And he magnifies the issues. Those stones burned as they are. Isn't that what the enemy does? Look at you. How many times have you failed before? Why are you trying again, Christ follower? Quit. You know those people in church, really, don't really appreciate what you do. I love C.S. Lewis. And if, I don't know if any of you have read the screw tape letters. Anybody? Good, I like that. Good, good, good. Excellent. It's a, a letters between a senior and a junior devil. And the junior devil's job is to stop a guy becoming a Christian. He fails and he's nervous. And so he has to obviously say, got it wrong. 
And the senior devil says, don't worry. He's become a Christ follower, Christian, they say. He's got the worst thing to come yet, church. And when he goes along and sees all of those people who cut him up on the motorway or road, there's people who are shouting in the parking area or in the shop, and they're lifting their hands all heavenward and holy, he'll ask himself, are these really God's chosen people? Thank God for the grace of God. But you see, one verse can absolutely crush our ambitions, you see. All of it. It's fe- these feeble Jews, it can be personal. And the enemies, one of his early tactics, it's diverse, will be to crush your ambition and everything you think. And he'll magnify the issues. You cannot be used again. We've tried it and it failed, even as a church. We also see the direction of discouragement. It started back in chapter 2. You know, the enemy always ramps up. He's never going give, to give way. Oh, I can't wait for, for Waypoint Church to get back and really start serving the community, really being a kingdom presence. I can't wait. You know, I've got, I'm busy. I'm going to let them do that. Just, you know, unkind of, with no problems with that at all. I'm just going to leave them alone. I'm going to leave that guy at work alone who witnesses for, witnesses for Christ. Oh, no. In chapter 2, 19... Sambalat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official. Read Old Testament history. The Ammonites were sworn enemies of, of Israel. They keep coming back. And Geshem the Arab heard about the plan in chapter 2 and they mocked and ridiculed us, says Nehemiah. And here we are in chapter 4. They've come back again. The building started in 3. Here's Tobiah's unfunny joke in verse 3. What are they building? Even a fox climbing on it would break down their wall of stones. Later, archaeological digs of what they believed to be the part of the wall of Nehemiah saw it to be around nine meters thick. It'd have to be a, a fox the size of a Tyrannosaurus rex to knock that down. But the enemy will come, you see. But you see, it can move from verbal to physical in verse 8 there in your Bible too. They all plotted together, that Sambalat and the team, to come and fight against Jerusalem. Words are not enough. And stir up trouble against it. You see, the enemy is relentless. You know, I love Psalm 27. The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Who loves Psalm 27? Do you notice how he speaks about the ramping up of the forces against him when he writes that? Even if men come against me, even if an army come against me, even if war break out against me. Did you see the progression in that psalm? Read Psalm 27, you see a progression of the enemy. It's what he does. Men, army, war. Even then, David says, I will be confident in God. He's the stronghold of my life. And so the enemy is relentless and we see, but he comes in various forms, this discouragement from without. The, the things in some ways, you know, I kind of expect external discour- kind of discouragement when I'm serving God. When I was in industry, I was in industry for many years before I was paid to be a Christian. And um, I remember people at work used to kind of have all the names and I expected that. It was almost a joy. It was a bit of a badge. That's okay. But you know, discouragement from without in some ways can be expected. But some of the hardest thing is discouragement from within. 
You know, someone once said that God's army is the only one that shoots its own wounded. Isn't that true sometimes? Don't do that. This is hard for everybody. We might not be in the same boat, as I often say, but we are in the same storm. This is really difficult. And, you know, as we open ourselves, because we're, caught, we're told this is the family of God, so I can share everything, and I want to do that. My vulnerabilities and the difficulties. But so often, just like Sam Ballot, even in-house, James says in chapter 3, 9, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. See, discouragement is diverse. It comes from without. It comes from within as well. And this can be all too much. If this is not a safe place for you, I really want to pray with you. This has got to be the oasis of how the Spirit speaks to us and lifts us. Doesn't he give us perspective? Don't you just love, it's frustrating not singing, but isn't it great to be in the presence? It's something supernatural and beautiful happens and it's not human construct. It's the Holy Spirit says when you're gathered, I'm going to be there. I would encourage you. There are some spare seats. Don't be polite. Book online. Come on. But you see, also doubts and fears within the battle can really, amongst ourselves, can really discourage us. Verse 10, meanwhile the people in Judah said, the strength of the laborers is giving out and there is so much rubble we cannot rebuild the wall. So we start to doubt ourselves. The, the enemy comes at us in our minds. You can't do that. Maybe some external criticism and the criticism comes and the conflict from in-house do you know when it comes to building for God, pessimism is much a greater enemy than atheism. It really is. My nan would say it puts years on me. I'm quite a jolly guy. You'd have to get to know me. I'm quite an optimist. I can't see if you're smiling. That's all right, don't we? And so people who drain down and see all the bad stuff, which is really great, but we need to do that. We need people who see, don't see all the, everything amazing. Is I, I, I can have so much of that. I've got to probably see two or three really, really, you know, fairly positive can-do, even though it's hard, real people. If, if I spend too long in, in the old down, down team, I spiral. It's just knowing what you're good at, isn't it? It's knowing what you can cope with. Don't look at me like that. I'm just saying. But you see, then in 11, we see this fear, as we said last week. In verse 11, the, the, the God's people say, Also our enemies said, it switches, within and without. Before they know it or see us, this is what they've said. We will be right there among you and we will kill them and put an end to the work. There's this fear. And last week we, we gave an acronym for fear. Do you remember that? False evidence appearing as real. So that's all the discouragement stuff. It comes, it's personal, it's, it's difficult to deal with. It comes from without, it comes from within. So what's the antidote? I want to just quickly run through this. What we see, our initial response with any discouragements, in fact, all of the time, and I know Kev's going to love this, is it must be a prayerful one. Look what happens in verse 4. So we get the... Uh, Joke of Tobiah and Sambalak comes with the comments, that awful sentence. 
So Nehemiah right away says, Hear us, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. And he goes on. See, Nehemiah's first response to discouragement is prayer. And this then automatically gives an example to those watching. If we're leaders, whatever capacity we're leading our homes, we're leading churches, we're leading youth groups or whatever it is, people are always watching us. Even in the workplace, we might be the only believer they know. People watch us. What is our response to setback? Is it prayer? So if it is, people catch it in verse 9. So what does Nehemiah tell us? He says in verse 9 later on, but we prayed. He's got others praying now. It's not just Nehemiah praying, but we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night. It was a practical prayer. I just wonder, I've got a question. How do we lead by example in prayer to those around us? When things don't go our way, what do our children at home see? When things, that letter comes, that disappointment comes, what do our work colleagues see? What is that? You know, William Cowper, he said this, Satan trembles when he sees the weakest saint upon their knees. Isn't that powerful? See, prayer completely changes things. That's the first thing we see. See, also we see the importance of unity. In verses 13 to 20, read them again at home. He gets everyone involved, the whole family. This isn't Nehemiah's problem. This is everyone's issue. This is a warship and not a cruise ship. Do you get the impression that this is a cruise ship in, in, in chapter 4, really? Everyone's involved, the whole family, the children, they're all involved in this warfare in building God's kingdom. There's no such thing as a junior Holy Spirit. Get your kids involved. Amazing. Samuel 5, Josiah 8. Changing whole mindsets and kingdom directions. Faithful children with the Spirit of God. That's no mean work. It's wonderful work. And so the unity, and whatever our differences, and there'll be plenty, there is so much more that unites us as God's people. So the antidote to discouragement, prayerful response, unity, and keep perspective whatever we do. Thirdly, keep perspective. Verse 14, Nehemiah says to the people, when they're panicking, they're coming to kill us, our strength is failing, he says, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. At this point, I just want to sing, but it wouldn't be very nice for you. Our God is an awesome God. He reigns. Get that bass going, and we just stand up in normal times, and then we go, yep, get into that point of worship right at that point, and then we come back to it. I just do. Don't you ever hear something and say, yeah, just me? Oh, oh we're on it. We're on it. That's good. I've got a friend. We need to keep perspective. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome. Martin Luther, the 16th century German reformer, was a chap and um, character. Anyway, he was a bit depressed. He got depression a bit. You know, it happens. And um, anyway, his wife, he, 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 great respect. He used to call his wife Lord Catherine. Just wonderful respect. And uh, she came down the stairs one day in, in kind of morning clothes, in black 
He'd been depressed a while, as the story goes. And uh, it was a real shock. And he said, what are you doing? To which Catherine declared, God is dead. What? God is dead. What are you talking about? Well, why are you behaving like it then? I like that. And sometimes I can behave as if God doesn't see, God doesn't know, that he's really surprised by all sorts of things like pandemics and everything. He is not surprised. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's coming back. It's amazing. This is all coming and culminating in his story. I thought someone said hallelujah then. I'm a bit used to that. And so we need to remember the Lord. We remember the Apostle Paul, he wrote to the Corinthians twice. We've got his letters. He wrote another one that was lost. He wrote the second Corinthians at the beginning. I love his vulnerability. He's an apostle. He doesn't kind of have the God TV thing. I know there's lots of good things on there. Don't get cross with me. But he doesn't have that kind of let's make the stage all powerful and everything else. He's so vulnerable. And do you know what he writes to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians? He says, you know, I was so fed up. We were so fed up. I even despaired of life itself. Here's an apostle. Isn't that brilliant? How would he feel if a leader stood there and said, you know, I'm so rubbish at this. I so need your prayers. Would that be okay? Okay, I'm so rubbish at this. I so need your prayers. And the Apostle Paul wrote to the church and says, you know, we even despaired of life itself. But we are confident in this. He carries on writing that the Lord who delivered us in the past will continue to do so. Because God has previous. Hallelujah. He's done it before. He's not surprised by your circumstance, by the circumstance of church, whatever it is. Keep perspective. We're nearly through. Encourage you. Our response, our antidote is a prayerful start with unity, keeping perspective. And when things are going well, here's the bit where we get all proud and full of ourselves. No, no, give God the glory. Verse 15, when our enemy says near my head that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it. He didn't say, wasn't I a great leader? God had frustrated it. We all returned to the wall, each to our work. To each one in the body of Christ, he has given a gift for the common good. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. We need to take our part because this is a warship and not a cruise ship. And if we want to sit back and watch 1% of the people just running around after us, then cruises start again soon, I think. But that shouldn't happen here, really. Finally, there's the great... Preacher's promise. Keep the vision. Whatever happens, it's not about you or me. It's not your plan. It's not about you. Let's get over ourselves. God is great. I remember there was a bishop, I think he was asked to speak at the some inauguration of Alexander the Great. You might know this story. And uh, he stood up and he said, only God is great. It's a great start, isn't it? Don't know where he went. <laughs> but wow. 
But keep the vision. Nehemiah announces the plan again in 16. From that day on, from all of the hassles, from half of my men did the work while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows and armour. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah. The end. They're going to finish building in a couple of chapters time. More opposition in 6. I just want to bring this down today because I appreciate and I don't want to be flippant that some of you might be facing some horror stories, some situations where you do not know the way out, where you might even be despairing of life itself. I don't want to put those words in your mouth. But the Lord knows. And the Lord who has delivered you in the past loves you and wants to fight for you. Remember your awesome God. Remember how amazing he is. And if you're challenged to get involved in the kingdom project in your workplace or wherever the Lord shows you here or wherever that might be, the enemy is going to come time and time and time and time et al. again. But we are more than conquerors through Christ. You know, William Carey said, expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. And that's great, yet we need to remember before we run away, getting excited about serving again, that we are in a battleground and not a playground. We need to be more like a warship than a cruise ship. All knowing and playing our part. And when opposition and discouragement come, and it will for sure, it will be diverse, it will be personal, it will be crushing, it will come from without, it will come from within. But as we are prayerful, as we are unified, as we keep perspective, as we give God the glory, as we keep the vision, we can be sure that our God is an awesome God and he that is in us is greater than he that is in the world to the glory of God. Amen. I think that's really good. <laughs> I do. Not me. Him. Isn't he great? Because you know, if God is for us,